So, welcome everybody. Just wanted to remind us of the song that I shared before, the cool Keith Green song, that my eyes are dry and my heart is cold. And just to acknowledge that that can happen and to acknowledge that many times in my own life when that's occurred, it's been the Bible, a word, a message, a song, or a conflation of all those things that have really helped to soften my heart. And so what I'm going to do today is I'm going to preach, then I'm going to go up the back, I'm going to play that song, it's going to fade out, and as it fades out, we're going to come to the communion table, the oil and the wine in a sense. I'm sure there's oil in the bread. So that will be almost a prophetic act. So the prophetic act for us now is to open up our hearts, to actually with our minds go, I don't care how hard my heart is feeling. Really what I'm talking about there is hunt emotionless it's feeling. Uh, because the reality is God still loves me. God, as Jesus has died on the cross, God, as Jesus calls me to himself. One day our emotions, our mind, our intellect, our physicality will all be in perfect sync with these super bodies. You'll feel right and true and you'll think right and true and it'll be awesome and magnificent and amazing. But right now we live in a world and we live in bodies that are part of the curse and as a result things can get out of sync. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can pray and we can ask God to soften our hearts and to bring our hearts and minds into synchronicity, for want of a better term, and into, with his will and with his spirit. So, so let me just pray. And one of the prayers I'm going to pray, it's a prayer I pray a lot. It's, it's a verse that I've memorized from Habakkuk. I prayed it briefly before when, I, when we were praying for Hannah. And it goes like this, and I'm actually going to pray it for us. Still, we, we will rejoice in Adonai. We will take joy in the God of our salvation. Elohim, Adonai, is our strength. He makes our feet sure and swift. We can stride across our high places. Now is the time to seek God. Now is the time to break open the hard ground of our hearts until he comes and showers righteousness on us. So Lord, help us today as we look at your word. We've talked about the last decade and we've talked about the next decade. We've gone all the way back to 2009 and we've looked forward to 2029. And we wonder at the end of 2029, some of us will be... 10 years older, some will go from their teens to young adulthood. Some will go from being young to being middle-aged. Some will go from middle-aged to being old. Oh Lord, if only, if only we could get to the end of 2029, look back and know that we had unhid the light, that we had been well lit. Lord, that we would be regret-free. That we would seize the day that we would take into our own hands the gift that you have given us, this beautiful gift of choice, this beautiful gift of freedom, to begin to change our habits, to be establish new habits that will become rhythms and processes and rituals in life, God-given, God-breathed rituals that will help us 
and change us and shape us over 10 years, not even being able to notice day by day, but after 10 years, definitely noticing. Help us to be well lit. In Jesus' name. Amen. How are we all going? Cool. It's awesome. It's awesome just to be able to preach and it's awesome to get up in the morning and just think about, I don't know, just encouraging you. I've just, I've just more and more realised how over my own life God's word has actually come in and shaped me. And sometimes it has been a spectacular kind of one-off thing, but over time it's been just this inexorable small change, cumulative change, just being in God's word. So anyway, I wanted to share some of it. And funny, I was talking to, I think it was Gabby actually, it might have been Becky about how really my sermon preparation has been decades of being in God's word, decades of him shaping me. So really, yeah, you do your few hours or whatever through the week, but it's really your whole life. It's really a lifetime of being in the word. So I've called this sermon Well Lit. And I really encourage you, if you haven't seen the last two sermons, um, this third one is pivoting off those first two. And those first two are, as we've said, probably ad nauseum now, is the end of the decade. So one in a decade sermon, the end of the decade. And the next one, so that was stay a while. The next one was unhide the light, which was last week. And that was the first of the decade. So here's your once in a decade opportunity. But I really want you to have a look at those because if you want to know what I think about Willowburn, what I think about myself, what I think about the next 10 years or the last 10 years in terms of the one thing, to me, that's it, these, these sermons. So this third one is a little bit more, how does this look for us in this week as we go towards our out circle Sunday? But more, more, more importantly, how does that look on Monday morning, Tuesday morning, Wednesday morning? What does it look like to unhide the light in our lives? So last time you can remember, we made a rather shocking claim don't know if you remember that. I actually did get in trouble in church once for this because someone didn't know their Bible and they said, how dare you say you are the light of the world? Oh, I'm just giving it away. You are the light of the world. It's like, that's Jesus is the light of the world. I'm going, man, you need to read Matthew 5. <laughs> Jesus says, you are the light of the world. And he's clearly saying it to his disciples. You can see at the start of Matthew, just to revise a little bit, um, it says there at the start of Matthew that Jesus went up on a mountainside his disciples came to him, they sat down, and he began to talk to them. And at the end of the Matthew Sermon on the Mount, you see in Matthew 7, 28, I think it is, where we're told that the crowds were amazed at his teaching. So Jesus is speaking to the disciples, teaching the disciples. So when he says you, he's talking to his disciples, but all the crowds listening in. So they go, oh, these disciples are, as you get into the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, for you, and so on and so forth. The you is always the disciples, but the crowds can hear it all. So the shocking thing that was said is, you are the light of the world. It would be heresy if it wasn't Jesus saying it. Because <laughs> Jesus over and over again through the Bible says, I am the light of the world. And now he says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before people so that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. And I'm really wondering and hoping that this week, as a start to the decade, as you're establishing maybe a New Year's resolution or you're thinking about doing things differently, you might just saturate yourself in this by, first of all, memorising it. And then when you're in your workplace or you're driving along, you can actually be pondering it. You can be meditating on it. You can go, you are the light of the world. Wow, that's pretty big. Just about to go into my workplace, maybe a bit of conflict, maybe a bit of stress, anxiety. You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. Like now, you're, now the word of God is like shaping us and changing us for everyday life. So I really encourage you to memorize, memorize. 
You are the light of the world. And we said that this is what Jesus says at the start of the Sermon on the Mount, the famous Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6 and 7. We may hear a lot more about this in the future. You are the light of the world. You. So if you think about who Jesus was speaking to in that context, it was these 12, maybe more disciples, um, because he did have a lot more disciples than just the 12 that would follow him from time to time. Remember, we'd see when he sends out the 70 and so forth. So we know there was other disciples, but his disciples, his people, that have kind of pledged allegiance to him, that are following him, he says, you are the light of the world. So think about just the disciples that we do know. You've got a zealot, so a militant kind of person who evidently has come under Jesus' sway. You've got a tax collector who was a a, a, a traitor. You've got fishermen. And Jesus says, you, you fisherman, you zealot, you tax collector, you state trader, you are the light of the world. (laughs) That's just shocking. It's ridiculous. Like, well, like, surely, surely he would be going to Caesar Augustus, one of the greatest Caesars, who actually was, as we saw in over Christmas, had his own gospel even. Surely you would go to him and go, you are the light of the world. Or maybe you'd find one really wise person. You are the light. No, these poor, downtrodden, unknowns, back to our earlier sermon series, unknowns, they are the light of the world. And of course, we saw last week how if you make the light your BFF, you get to be radiant as well. You're just hanging out with Jesus in companionship with him, in allegiance to him. He's very, he's a good sharer, our God, don't you reckon? Like sharing things. So he shares his light. You become in intimacy and companionship with him. You become one with him. So you begin to glow as well. And we'll talk about what that means practically, but you begin to look like Jesus. And because you look like Jesus, this light shines into darkness where there's confusion, there's this misbehavior, there's mismorality, there's malmorality, there's all sorts of darknesses. And then the light comes in. And all of a sudden, all the dysfunctions that are hurting you and hurting other people, because that's what sin does. That's what darkness does. All of a sudden, you're in oneness with Jesus. You're in unity with him. You're in companionship with him. You're in allegiance to him and you become the light of the world as he is the light of the world. That's amazing. Last week, we saw that a city on a hill cannot be hidden. And we talked about the ASSS. Does anyone remember what the ASSS stood for? It's a, a, a technique, a preaching technique, teaching technique that Jesus loved to use. Because remember the city on the hill, we talked about how that would have been beautiful white limestone. So in glorious sunshine, as you walked up towards, say, Jerusalem, it'd be like, wow, this is so bright. (laughs) Silly story. (laughs) So it's the auto-suggestive self-silliness lesson. So it's auto-suggestive because it automatically sounds silly. It's like, how do you hide a city on a hill? How do you hide that? It's very difficult. Uh, And then it's um, self-silliness because Jesus is talking about his followers and he's saying it's a little bit silly, isn't it, team, to think that you can hide the city on a hill? Well, this light that I'm talking about, that I'm giving to you, this spiritual light, this spiritual truth, it's the same truth. If you try and hide a city on a hill, that's just stupid. If you try and do the same thing with this light I'm giving you, you're in an ass situation, an A-triple-S situation. Probably only milked that so far, and I've probably already offended a few people. But in all seriousness, no, this is what he's doing. So it's just silly. And we can do contemporary versions. Anyone know what that is? Where's that? Come on, sports fans everywhere. It's the Gabba. It's the Gabba. So it's a great place for night games if you've ever been there because they've got these brilliant 
lights. They're so bright. When I saw that, I just had to take a photo of it. I think we watched the Brisbane Lions play someone. It was great. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. You are the light of the world. The Gabba cannot be hidden. Neither do people light the, light the stadium lights at the Gabba and put a covering over them. That's just silly, people. Silly. That's it. It's an A-triple-S. Anyone know where that might be? See the horizon up the top? <laughs> Tabletop. You know, many go to see the sunrise. They don't go to see the dark descend. No one goes up there. If they do, they're a bit silly. They're asking for trouble. But they go up there for sunrise, don't they? And it's not very impressive until you've been there. We could do the same here. We could go, you are the light of the world. The sunrise at tabletop cannot be hidden. Neither do people go up to tabletop at sunrise and then put a covering over the sun. That's just silly. You can't do that. It's dumb. That's an A-triple-S thing to do. Don't do that. And so last week we asked how well lit are we? And we had our little in integrated in-room exercise where we closed our eyes. Well, some people weren't here last week. Let's close our eyes again. Close our eyes. Can someone tell me where? And this is a simulating darkness. Let's say if I could blank out everything. I actually seriously thought about it. It would have been too much trouble to blank out all the windows with garbage bags. But if I had, I would have then, you would have seen or not seen the darkness. And I would have said, where's it coming from? Go find it. And then I would have opened up with my torch or my, on my phone. I would have said, all right, now open your eyes. You can open your eyes now. Where's the light coming from now? If you can find the light straight away. This is the thing. Light always has a source. Darkness doesn't have a source. Darkness ain't a thing. So straight away, that has very powerful spiritual overtones, which we'll talk about shortly. You are the light of the world. How much of a light of the world are you feeling? Are you feeling this right now? <laughs> Do you really think, like, as the disciples are sitting there, they would have felt any different to you? You know, those fishermen, Peter. Peter's probably, like, picking his nose or something, going... <laughs> What are we, I don't know, he just strikes me as a nose picker. Um, and he's just like, what? And Jesus actually calls them thick-headed at times in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, you know, John, he was called a son of thunder. So he's probably looking around, at, he's probably looking at Peter picking his nose and going, come on, Peter, what's your problem? And you've got all these other disciples and do you think they were feeling it? You think you are the light of the world and Jesus, the son of God, is looking at you. You probably don't get that. No, they're just like you, just like you. Like, you should lighten up on yourselves a bit. <laughs> Probably weren't feeling that guilty anyway. But if you were feeling guilty, I know, you see what I did there? And I didn't even mean it. Um, you know, you, you just, Jesus knows us. So what that means is it, it's cool because it's like, okay, we can relax on ourselves a bit. But at the same time, we can also just ratchet up uh, the desire to be fully committed because Jesus obviously intends for us to be the light of the world. Maybe it's going to take some time. Maybe he wants us to do it over two or three or four years or 20 years or 70 years. But in any case, in any case, what it means is, is that we should take it seriously, not just go, oh, whatever. But not to get, not to get too serious with ourselves. All right. Um, the light. So one of the things with metaphors and one of the things with parables is us in our post-enlightenment age, we always want to solve it. So we go, the light of the world, right, straight, it's like a cipher. What does light of the world stand for? And then, then we busy ourselves finding out what the light of the world could be. But metaphors, and particularly these spiritual lessons, parables, don't work this way. They aren't intended solely to be, they're definitely, you're definitely trying to work out what they mean, but they're actually meant to operate kind of in this way. So if I say, and I've done this before, Ben, you are a beautiful sunflower in my life. 
Tim, so are you. You're more like a tulip, actually. You're a beautiful <laughs> tulip in my life. And notice I don't care about the gender overtones. Let's, let's just go with it. Now, you could go, what does parking mean by sunflower? And come up with a big list, and you could come up with a big list about tulips. But in that moment, the statement has already done something. You've already got a head meaning, and you've got a felt meaning, don't you? Don't you? Is, have I insulted you? No, I've said you're like a, you're like a delight. And so the, the picture that I give you mixes with, uh, I, with who I am, with your context, with the history of that of a sunflower, everything you know about a sunflower, everything you know about a tulip. And in that moment, there is illumination. There's light. There's understanding. So if Jesus says you are the light of the world, yeah, we need to understand what that is. And he kind of gives it away because then he says, let your light shine before people that they may see your good deeds. But when we go, what is the light? What's he talking about? I'm really thankful because he sort of actually told us, but I don't want to get too far away from the idea that we're meant to soak in the, the, the feeling of being light. So if you have a look back into, in fact, if you've got your Bibles there, what do you see prior to Matthew 14, uh, verse 14, so Matthew 5, verse 14 to 16. What do you see before that? You see the Beatitudes. Now, has everyone, just about everyone, I'll bet, has a break, don't you? Like a pericope, it's called. You'll have a little title just beneath. Yeah, so who has a title beneath the Beatitudes where, and it's something like salt and light? Who doesn't have one? All right, all right so on your smartphone, without messing up the screen, or on your Bible there, put your finger over... Oh, or a pencil or something, or just try to block it out, block out the pericope. What do you notice? You'll get to, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit. You keep on dropping down. Blessed are you when you are insulted, persecuted, etc., etc. And then skip the break because there's no break. What's it say? It rolls straight into you are the salt of the earth, which then rolls straight into you are a city of light. So Jesus is actually saying, in context, as it would have been on that sermon and as it's been recorded, that when you are salty and when you are well lit, you are the Beatitudes. You are the Beatitudes. And believe me, there's much more to it than that. Throughout the scriptures, we could attach ourselves in all sorts of ways to what it means to be well lit. But for right now, in Jesus' preaching, you are the Beatitudes. You are well lit when you are the Beatitudes. The light of the world is contextualized by the Beatitudes. And we know that our oneness with Jesus, therefore, and our being well lit, radiating or re-radiating his radiance is the Beatitudes. Now, I know we've done these before and I'm not going to spend a heap of time explaining them, but it's really difficult for people to translate it. They'll translate it with blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed, blessed, blessed goes all the way down. Eight of them all together. Um, but in this little commentary tells me this, is that neither blessed nor happy, some other versions, does anyone have happy? Some do, some Bible versions, English Bible version. It never adequately translate this makarios, which is the Greek word. It's almost a term of kind of congratulations, almost like delighted congratulations because you're this way. It's almost like, you know, you've had a, just had a baby that you've really wanted for a long time and the baby comes along and it's like, oh wow, you've got a baby, you're so blessed. You are, it's, it's more than just being blessed, it's being delighted, being joyful. It's a heart state, but it's more than that. It's a quality, it's more than that. It's an ethic, it's a value, but it's more than that. It's this delighted kingdom value, virtue, blessing, characteristic, 
state. It's you embodying Jesus in the everyday world. And I call these, I call these Beatitudes the wide light. The wide light. And I'll tell you why in a minute. So, in fact, I'll tell you now. I've been thinking about this a lot. We talked about light before, how light has a source. So if I turn on a light in a dark place and I go, where is it? You can look for it. You can see where it's coming from. So when Jesus uses this metaphor of light, I fully expect and see or should see in the Beatitudes this idea that it's somehow going to draw us back to the source of light, to God. But at the same time, when I turn the light on in this dark room, all of a sudden you can see the chairs. You can see which way you need to go. You can see the things that you need to do if you need to move the, tar- move the, move the chairs and so forth. This is the wide light. So when we look at the Beatitudes, we see a highlight, drawing us to the highlight, drawing us to the source of our radiance. And I'm going to go through each of these just to show you. And you see um, the wide light. You see what you're supposed to do. You see what you're supposed to be in your workplace. So I've just put up the first three up there. Blessed are the poor in spirit in verse three, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So the light comes on. The light shows us how we're supposed to be, what we're supposed to do, our delighted state in God. And the first one is blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, if you're anything like me, most of the time you see these and they feel a little bit kind of religious, a little bit fluffy. You don't realize how gritty and how profound they really are for everyday life. So what we're going to do, last time I did this, we went through and talked about what this would look like in the workplace. If you're poor in spirit, if you mourn, if you're meek, if you're hunger and thirst for righteousness, if you're merciful, if you're pure in heart, if you are a peacemaker, if you're persecuted. I'm going to do a bit differently today. We're just going to quickly go and look at what it means for Jesus. How gritty and how real and how tough and how world changing this really is. How well lit Jesus really is. Think about Jesus as poor in spirit, because what poor in spirit really means is humble. So Jesus, the ultimate God, the King of kings, Lord of lords, comes and what? Walks as a man. So what you see for all of Jesus' life is this well-lit, poor in spirit. He's well-lit by his humility. Just think about that. Think about some of the pictures you know about Jesus. The ultimate picture, you know, when he, and he kneels down at his disciples' feet, in a sense. He deliberately gives up the riches of heaven. He doesn't grasp at power. He makes himself poor in spirit. And as a result, people are flocking to him. There's this well-lit thing going on. And persecution's coming his way as well, which we'll see in a minute. But this is the wide light. But he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Straight away, it brings us back to the source. So it's bringing us back to the source, which is really the king and his kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. He's saying, when you are blessed like me, when you re-radiate my light and you are poor in spirit, like I was poor in spirit, this is the kingdom. And you're going to inherit the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God with with everything that that means. The super bodies the beautiful ethics and values. I mean, imagine poor in spirit more and more in politics. (laughs) I mean, who's more hated now, politicians or banks? I'm trying to work it out. Like because of a lack of trust, and it's on us as well, but, but think about that for a minute. If there was more poor in spirit stuff going on, literally giving up of yourself, giving up of your power to do something that's bigger than your own self reputation. 
Blessed are those who mourn. Here's the wide light. Blessed are those who mourn, for theirs is the um, for they will be comforted. So blessed are those who mourn. Now, blessed are those, what this really means is blessed are those who really care about what's going on around them. Blessed are those who mourn for the widows, who mourn, mourn for the boat people, who mourn for victims of fires, who mourn for themselves in a sense when they realise how hard their heart can be. This sense of mourning. Imagine that in the workplace or at home or just in your relationships. More of that. Now imagine it with Jesus. Remember him weeping at Lazarus' tomb? Remember him weeping over Jerusalem? He cares. I love the way he cares. And that's, that's like wide light. It shows us how we're supposed to be. And then again, it says, for they will be comforted. Well, who are they going to be comforted by? In the Psalms, we're told that God comforts the widow. God comforts those who are downtrodden. I know Estienne and Gabby were just sharing how they felt that comfort when they were going through their suffering. I certainly felt it. And again, that's the highlight. Bring us back to God. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Meek, it's a shame we don't have a decent English word for this. This is a very powerful word. This is one of the most powerful things, if you want to use masculine stereotypes, that a bloke can be, honestly. Because, no. And we've talked about this many times. You think about Jesus. What did Jesus do? He took all that thermonuclear power and he constrained it into and embodied it in a man and then went to the cross. That's meekness. You want to know what meekness is? That's meekness. It's incredibly tough, I mean, to, to, to give up the angel armies that he could have called down in a, or just said a word and dealt with the soldiers and so forth. That's amazing to me. Blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. Imagine that, giving up a bit more power because you know you can entrust yourself to one who judges justly to God and then letting other stuff, you know, not fretting when wicked men get their way kind of thing, just letting it go. Trusting God. Don't mistake, mistake me though, like this does mean you stand up for righteousness and justice because that's one of the further Beatitudes coming up. But again, think of Jesus and then what that looked like. It's so amazing, isn't it? When he helps that woman at the well. It's just so amazing. And then that then, uh, so blessed are meek for thou inherit the earth again. It takes us out of our near horizon, out of what's going on right now and points us to a far horizon, a time when the earth will be inherited by people like this. And the Bible is very clear that people are not like this, that continue to stay in their ways of self-interest, being full of themselves and so forth and will not change. They will not inherit the earth. The next one is blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled Righteousness is, a, again, it's, a, it's an English word that struggles to keep up with the Greek, but essentially what that means is right ways, justice. So in your workplace, seeing fairness, justice, seeing equity, and of course, in our relationship to God, seeing that as well. And you see Jesus over and over again, he just stood up against the powers that were and said, no, we need justice here, we need righteousness here. Remember the woman who was going to be stoned? That was him hungering and thirsting after righteousness, justice for her. The hypocrites that stood by, calling them out. And again, you know, it all sort of flows together, doesn't it? Because that can make you mourn when you see that kind of stuff. The next one is blessed are the merciful. You know, Jesus shows mercy over and over again, doesn't he? All through the scriptures. I mean, even on the cross, you know, 
If you look at the cross, Jesus is on the cross, the thieves are next to him. If you put all the gospel accounts together, you see there's one of the thieves that will turn at some point and repent, rethink, rework his life, what's left of it. But in the first half, he's actually insulting Jesus. And then he finally sees how Jesus is carrying himself on the cross in this amazing way of just blessing his enemies and so forth. And so then he says, finally realize something happens and he goes, when, when you come in your kingdom, remember me. And what's Jesus? Merciful. You'll be with me today in paradise. Imagine more mercy. Wow. For they will be shown mercy. Actually, there's lots of parables about that, isn't there? If we're not gracious, we won't be shown grace. Again, it points us up to who is the one that will show us mercy? God takes us to the high light, the source light. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. You know, the pure in heart are the non-self-centered. Jesus himself says that the one who works for the honor of the one who sent him, in him, there is no deceit. They're a man of truth. They're a person of truth. Jesus was like that over and over again. For they will see God. Imagine that. Imagine seeing God. Hmm. Blessed are the peacemakers. Jesus was our ultimate peacemaker between God and people, but also between people. The things that cause wars, the things that cause turbulence in relationships, he was here to deal with. And of course, it's a bit paradoxical, isn't it? Because he also did cause trouble. People would then be against him. Uh, You know, if you're a son who would then follow after Jesus, but your father didn't agree, then there would be that trouble. But this is this long-term, ongoing conflict that Jesus is dealing with. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. So blessed are those who are persecuted when they're seeking these right ways. They're seeking justice in the workplace or in the home place or politically. And of course, persecution comes. Again, he brings us back to this idea that theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Back to the highlight. And so I'm just thinking to myself as we get to the last five or ten minutes and as we roll towards communion and as we think about that Keith Green song, and I know it's hot and I know that we get a little bit tired at this point. I've been going for 25 minutes. I want to finish at 30. I want, to, I want us to think about this for a moment. We've thought about this in the past. It's a unique thing, but for that Out Circle Sunday next week, I really want you, first of all, to be praying, God, show me how I can exhibit the Beatitudes, not in my own house necessarily to my own people, but to people that you're going to invite in. Uh, And I want you to think about Monday morning, whatever you're doing Monday morning or Tuesday morning. What does it look like to unhide the light, to be well lit? And I want you to then think about this repeating itself in various ways. And it's a kind of trip, stumble, fall, isn't it? You you want to do the right thing, but then you get it wrong. Um, But then you've got these other rhythms and things that are going on in your life that are kind kind of bringing you back to God all the time. But imagine this kind of rhythm over and over thinking the Beatitudes, thinking about seeking God's kingdom first until 2029. Like, wouldn't this next decade be fundamentally different, qualitatively different to the last decade for you and for the world around you? Yeah, it would be. And actually, it's not me saying this in an inspirational way. It's Jesus saying, get away from this self-silliness stuff come to me open up your heart to new possibilities no matter how many obstacles you think there are and as you look forward think about this and as with anything in the bible it's always stay away from this and chase after this 
You see that all the way through Hebrews, the exhortation, you know, be warned about this, stay away from that. And we've already seen it, haven't we, in 14 to 16? You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, it's no longer good for anything. This is actually another self-silliness because salt can't lose its saltiness, <laughs> can it? Sodium chloride can't lose its saltiness if it's sodium chloride. It can't. It's impossible. And many people have struggled, and maybe he was talking about the impure salts of the Dead Sea where there was little bits of rubbish in there, so it wasn't really... No, it's just another ass, A-triple-S, autosuggestive, self-silliness lesson, saying you can't lose your saltiness, people. That's stupid, so stop being silly. And then the other one, this is the warning, stay away from that. And then the other one is you are a city on a hill. You are the light of the world. Don't light your lamp and put it under a lamp. Uh, light, your lamp put under, light your lamp and put it under a bowl. So when we come to this part, we're reconsidering, because this is what repentance is. It's to rethink, just think about this again, reconsider and then rework. And so here's what we need to watch out for, because as we go into, I put all, I put all these up. These are all the things that we do. Accountant, teachers, administrators, or things that are in our lives that we have contact with or people that have been in this church. These are all the occupations. I won't go through every single one, but artist, musician, pilot, teacher aide, psychologist, IT professional. I definitely wanted the mums, the stay-at-home mums who I call stay-at-home special forces because they've got to be a bit of everything. Just like special forces and they're always invisible and not necessarily acknowledged when they're at work. So... All those things you've got, and you know, we're supposed to be the image of God. We're supposed to be showing what that looks like to be a kingdom person. And then, of course, the places will be, you know, your place of business, your office, your work site, your home, in the garden, your crew rooms, your cabins, your studios, your kitchen, your work, the serveries, the conference rooms, the theaterettes, the job sites. Imagine being well lit in all these places consistently all the way to 2029, to the end of the decade. What would it actually look like for you to take that Jesus light? Imagine each of these places, Rick, your workplace. If Jesus shows up tomorrow and it just because he likes doing kind of stuff like that, being humble, rather than showing up for President Trump's next conference, he'll just show up to Rick's workplace, right? Now imagine he just decides to become a worker there. What will he look like? I suggest he'll look like you or what he wants you to look like. Do you know what I mean? Well, same with you. Ben, you know, at Ergon, or me at work. <sighs> Imagine that, the highlight. So you've got the wide light, so you work really well. The best witness you can be is to be competent at your job, be really good at your job, and then you get to give a reason for the hope that's in you. You do the same thing as the Beatitudes. You shine the light wide, and then you bring people back to the Lord Jesus. You say, actually, the only reason I'm really convinced about wanting to do these dodgy jobs and things like that and serve in a different way to everyone else and to be merciful and to be poor in spirit and to really care about things I shouldn't really care about, maybe, in the worldly sense, is because of Jesus, because of the highlight, the source light. But here's the watch out, what's, what to watch out for. Remember the D attitudes, D for Delta. It's like a well-written novel, long novel. Three years ago, we preached through this, and now I'm bringing it back in. But D stands for darkness. The darkness attitudes. Unblessed are the proud in spirit. You know, if you're hiding the light, it's not passive. What's happening is then you're actually, because it's just silly to do that, if God's put this powerful light in you, what's actually happening there is you're not operating in God's Holy Spirit. You're operating in your flesh, and your flesh will be proud in spirit. 
Unblessed are the proud. And you see this every day at work probably. Unblessed are those who don't care. So if blessed are those who mourn, unblessed are those who don't care. If blessed are the meek, then unblessed are the unrestrained who just let fly with their anger, who use their power for their own selfish gains. If blessed are those who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness, if they are blessed, then unblessed are those who are full of themselves, who are not hungry and thirsty. Unblessed are the full of themselves. If blessed are the merciful, then unblessed are the vindictive, unblessed are the unmerciful, unblessed are the ungracious, unblessed are the non-charitable. Twitter's a good, pretty good place to go and see some of this stuff. Unblessed are the corrupt in heart. So there's pure in heart, but then you're working for yourself and you're saying you love someone, but you're actually manipulating because you want to use them for something. Unblessed. Unblessed. This is the de-attitude, the darkness. Unblessed are the troublemakers. If blessed are the peacemakers, unblessed are the troublemakers. And you might not think you're a troublemaker, but if you aren't seeking actively peace, then you will tend to just let conflict go. When someone gossips and backstabs, you'll just let it go. When there's issues on the job floor and you don't stand up for those that are lower, that do not have power, you are contributing to troublemaking. You are definitely not a peacemaker. And unblessed are the persecuted. You know why a lot of people aren't persecuted in the workplace or don't get in trouble in the workplace? Because they don't play the game of whack-a-mole. They don't stick their head up and actually make a statement to correct unrighteous ways, to bring justice. So they never get hit. They never take any hits. They don't have to take any hits because they just come to work. They just put their blinkers on. Same in church situation. Oh, I won't say anything. No, no. And instead, what happens is they go, yeah, instead of like being change agents, they're just not. You can always expect that if you are going to be well lit like Jesus, then you're going to be like Jesus. Because at times, when you stand up for justice, you stand up for righteousness, you're going to take some hits, aren't you? So as we come and as we prepare ourselves for the communion table, as we think about being well lit, and as we think about being the light of the world, I want this to actually be a real time between you and God. So I'm going to actually stop talking for a while. And I just want you to just consider, again, your responsibility my eyes are dry, my heart is cold, which it just is without the Lord. But that doesn't mean you can't acknowledge that right now and ask God to do something about it, does it? Does it? No, because your brain is full and active and now it's full of God's word, I'm hoping. And now you get to express Imago Day, your ability to choose. And you get to go, Lord, if my heart is, is hard, Lord, please change it. Lord, if my hardness has contributed to me being an ass and closing off the light, then Lord, can you please change this within me so that I might be well lit for my family, for the sake of my children? By the way, I know heaps of you have little, little kids. In 10 years, they're going to be teenagers or adults. <laughs> Think about that. Will they see you as well lit parents? Not perfect, but well lit parents. Will they see you with these embodied kingdom attributes? You know, we just really need people that will unhide the light. We really need people in this world that are going to be well lit. And it's not easy, is it? 
And so we come back to this other message that God has given us, which is I just want you to stay a while now with this. So remember when we first did this message, it was stay a while in the morning. Please have times in the morning. Give the best time of your your day to God. Let's get into it for 2020 all the way through to 2029. Have a plan. You can talk to me about how to make that happen. But please have the first part of your day. I just think it's essential now. But then also in the madness of the moment when things are going on around work, to be able to pray, stay a while, think about the Beatitudes, think about you're the light of the world. But we're just going to stay a while now. I just think it's such an important message for us as a church. So what that means is just for a few moments, we're in, in quiet, we're listening. Thank you, kids. You've been awesome today, by the way. And I'm going to put the song on. And as the song starts, that'll be your clue to come forward and celebrate the Lord's Supper. And just in preparation for that, uh, Estin, could you, did you do this last time? Break the bread? Oh, Gabby, could you break the bread for us today? So Gabrielle's going to break the bread for us, which is going to remind us of God's awesome gift to us, the Lord Jesus' awesome gift to us of that sacrifice on the cross of that body of his broken for us. You know, all the, all the Beatitudes, the light comes together on the cross, doesn't it? The, the poor in spirit, the meek, the mourning, the hungering and thirsting for righteousness, the merciful, um, the peacemaking, the pure in heart. It all comes together on Jesus on the cross. It's just amazing. Then we're going to keep the cup and drink together. But once Gabby sits down, we'll have this moment of quiet, maybe a couple of minutes. You might hear a kid. You might hear doors. You might hear the music next door. I just ask that you just bring your mind back to you are the light of the world. Just keep bringing your mind back to you are the light of the world. And just saying, Lord, where's my heart at with this? Where's my heart at? And if you acknowledge it, yeah, I'm not really into this message today. Lord, just... Lord, can you just please come in and do something about that? Maybe not today, but over the next week or so. So we're just going to stay a while. So like I said, once the song starts and the song trails off as it naturally does, that's your cue to come and partake of the bread and of the cup. And we'll hold the cup and then uh, and drink together. Okay, everyone happy with what we're doing? Father, I just ask for your intervention at this time for our hearts. Lord, that you would soften our hearts. Uh, Bring us into close union with you again and make us well lit, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.